this is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast wherein a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliovile, Mick read, I Didn't Come Here to Make Friends, Confessions of a Reality Show Villain by Courtney Robertson, and I read 1632 by Eric Flint. Do 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 short haired kind of wife, baby. Hey, welcome to Bibliovile. I have a short haired kind of wife. Susan got a haircut. I did. Welcome to Bibliovile. My name is Susan Dickinson. I have short hair. Ah, my name is Mick Dickinson. I have slightly shorter hair. I can't let Susan have anything, so I also got a haircut today. I made her give me one. What a jerk you are. What a jerk I am. We are back after a. Not episode to have a real episode back in the Bibliovile cave. Where do we record this? Uh, yeah, in the Bibliovile uh, Plaza. It's a, uh, a grand square entirely dedicated to this podcast and the its bi- many listeners. The Bibliovile Complex Compound. Mm-hmm. Complex Compound of Bibliovile. Uh, Biblioville. Damn it. Oh, that would have been better. Yeah, let's start over. No. All right. Uh, But uh, we are here to tell you about the worst books we could find to read uh, this month. (laughs) It's supposed to only take two weeks, and it took us a while because October sucks. Yeah. The fall is hard. The fall just kind of sucks. Like, everyone falls into funk. We have historically fallen into funks, you and I. Mm -hmm. Both just, like, casual funks and actual funks. Like, depression and all that. So, that October's never fun with that. We're doing okay this year. Yeah. All right. It's also, like, travel season for my job is always in the fall. And so, that takes up a decent chunk of time. Um, I was out all last week. We didn't get to spend any nights together, which was a big bummer. Literally none. As in, like, I did not see you from Sunday until Sunday. Mick coached uh, junior high volleyball. That was exciting. Very exciting. I trained for a marathon and ran it. You did. I'm so proud of you. That also took a lot of time. Yes, it did. So, yeah. Both training and the marathon itself. Yeah, the marathon itself took a very, very, very long time. But you know what? What? Doesn't matter. I finished it. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And then we got to pop blisters on Snapchat because we're the grossest couple ever. Yeah, we're pretty gross. Um, But now we're hopefully kind of back on schedule. October is starting to calm down. Volleyball's over. Travel season's winding down. No more marathon training. I'm never running again. Mm -hmm. Um, So we should be hopefully back to a normal bibliophile schedule. Back to consistently reading terrible books every two weeks. Oh, God. When you put it like that. I think that just made my funk worse. <laughs> All right. Well, I had to read I Didn't Come Here to Make Friends, Confession of a Reality Show Villain by Courtney Robinson with Deb Bayer. Courtney Robertson, of course, um, is... Uh, Courtney Robertson is a reality show villain I got from it. a little-known TV show that you may not have heard of called The Bachelor. I wish I had never heard of that. I did not watch the season that she was on. Her 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 suitor was a gentleman named Ben Flajanic. Oh, I was going to ask you because it looks like Flajanic. And like someone sneezed. he was like, the, he was marketed as the hipster bachelor. 
Because he had his own winery. Mm-hmm. And, he, like, long, shaggy hair. That he definitely went on to promote. He does not have long, shaggy hair. It is not even past his ears. There are pictures in this book, because it is a book for children. <laughs> and he just, like, he just has, like, middle school in 2006. Well, it's, like, shaggy hair. in terms of The Bachelor, because now they all have the white supremacist haircut. No, they don't have the, the white supremacist haircut. They just have textbook like a factory model B white guy face. Yeah, that's true. Um, but and I'm yeah. saying that as factory model C white guy. <laughs> so Yeah, he was marketed as the hipster bachelor, and she was like the quintessential villain, and every other bachelor villain since that season has tried to copy Courtney, apparently. Namely, trying to do... According to the Rose Buddies podcast. Yeah. Thank now you. defunct. Now, uh, just about everything I've ever gotten about The Bachelor has come from the Rose Buddies podcast by Griffin McElroy and his wife, Rachel McElroy, which they have transformed from Rose Buddies because turns out, get this, The Bachelor sucks as a yeah, franchise and bad. as a show, and it's bad and terrible. Uh, and so they have transitioned into a new podcast called Wonderful. Wonderful. I have not heard as much of that mm-hmm. since I don't listen to it. You do. Uh, but it's it's pretty nice. They talk about things they like instead of vent about things they don't like, like some o- other awful podcasts. Yeah, who vents about bad things on their podcast? Anyway, this book. Um, this book had me thinking a couple different feelings. I'm, I'm probably not going to go into it that much, except to say that The Bachelor really sucks, and I hate it as a concept and as a show. Do you remember when The Bachelor first came out? It was uh, during I think the- we would have been... It was 2002... So we would have been in like third or fourth grade. Yeah, but do you remember the advertising around it at all? Um, I know that it was like, I remember the big thing was like, holy smokes, this is bonkers. This dude is going to date 25 women. Yeah, the big thing was like, it, it was coming out at the same time as all of those, like the reality show Survivor and stuff had already started. And so you're in the reality show Carays, which we're still kind of in, but instead of being an actual like show it's just kind of follow these weird people around and watch them do situations that we set up for them and the bachelor kind of started that because the whole advertising around the bachelor was no one can fall in love this quickly we're making a man fall in love with somebody this quickly Mm -hmm. that's ridiculous isn't it yeah right that was the advertising for the first this is ridiculous watch this be ridiculous because at that time it was all about Look at this ridiculous situation. Like, we put a bunch of single people on an island and fed them booze. And this is before Bachelor in Paradise. It was called Temptation Island. Mm. And they had to not sleep together. And, of course, they did. And then it was a scandal. Scandal. And then they also had uh, the Black Swan or Ugly Swan or something like that, where women competed to get plastic surgery. Oh, that's messed up. That is messed Well, so is The Bachelor is messed up. And everything before. I know. I understand that it's messed up. In this book. This book is a supposedly tell-all about Courtney Robinson, uh, her trip through the Bachelor franchise. Some chapters are devoted to her love life. Before the Bachelor, turns out she dates bad guys and makes mistakes. And then she goes on the Bachelor and, and makes mistakes and ends up engaged for some time to a not great guy. And then the book ends and that's it. It's, they break up. It's really, yeah, they broke up. It's really useless. It's almost as if someone actually can't fall in love while dating 25 similar people over mm-hmm. the course of three weeks. Um, But inside this book, I actually wrote her name down wrong on my notebook. I have Courtney Robinson instead of Courtney Robertson. That's how much of a personality this woman has. It makes me think of, you know, the, uh, the clip from uh, American Psycho I literally just made you watch because you've never seen it. There's an idea of a Courtney Robertson. You can shake hands. 
you can feel like her life your lifestyles are roughly similar but she is simply not there there is just an idea of a courtney robertson interesting there's nothing to her in this book and i think that maybe it got sanitized through the co-author or the bachelor franchise Mm -hmm. like kind of whatever but she just is not really a person. Hey, I like to, sometimes I watch movies, but I dress up and go out to dinner, but I love my friends and my family, but I'm going to defend myself against boys. Like, it's just, girl. It's the Bachelor's idea of what a person is, and that's nothing except sound bites that aren't actually that clever. Mm-hmm. And so she just lives out the Bachelor life, which is a terrible one, that the the Bachelor, the show itself, I want to get into it is bad and it is a bad show and i don't like it and nobody should like it 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 ruins lives that people go on the bachelor and i know that they know that it like does this and it's a reality show and all that sort of stuff but it ruins their lives she was a reality show villain because she wanted to sleep with the man that she wanted to sleep with and mm-hmm. she's pinned into a house with 25 other women who are trying their hardest to be dramatic and get on camera. Mm-hmm. So they are talking shit about each other and it's just awful and bad. And why do people want to watch that? I don't get it. But anyway, then she is this, she's the villain because of the way they edited the dang show because they want viewers. So they made her look a certain way. And then she comes home off of the show and she's on tabloids as the seducer, the man eater, the villain, the vil- like the worst person alive. Mm-hmm. She ruined Ben's life and she's talked so much smack on the other girls. And it just and now she is famous for being a bad person. Yeah. And she gets harped by paparazzi for being a bad person and appears on uh, gets her nude pictures published in magazines that she has no permission for. Gets all of sorts of dirty laundry. Her family has their mugshots published on magazines. She Yikes. has her and her lives or her family's lives quasi ruined and put through the public ringer because she was on a reality show so that we could laugh at, at drunk women who fall asleep in beds and pretend that people are falling in love. Now you're making me feel guilty. It also ruins expectations for what love looks like that we all get to be handsome bangable 20 or 30 year somethings and go to the Matterhorn and wear designer ski jackets and have wine put in front of us that we don't get to drink and fancy foods that we don't get to eat and uh, cut promos for about five minutes of actually being together and pretend that we're falling in love because that's what we're told to do by somebody with a, a megaphone. I don't think anyone watching this show like starts to believe that that's what love is. Really? Yeah. You don't think that they're impressionable young women and even some 20, 30-somethings watching that saying, why can't I find a man like Blen Flagenic? He's got his winery and he knows how to cook. That's what I need in a man. I remember I watched one episode with you because you brought people to our apartment and had a great spread. I will give The Bachelor that. It brings people together. And I so I watched the episode because I wanted to have some Oreos and some carrots and hummus. And we watched an episode about a bachelor who was from Indiana. I had uh, like a day at the, his high school, mm-hmm. who was also named Ben, by the way. Yep. This is the widest show in the world. And one of the challenges was putting Indiana on a map. It was. And they could not do it very well. No. And you're telling me that women watching the show, young women watching the show, that see a extraordinarily beautiful, made-up, makeup designer clothes given... 
woman failed to put Indiana, ma- Indiana on a map and then turn around and make out with a supremely hot dude in glorious locales that does not impact them and say, you don't need to know where Indiana is on a map. I mean, potentially. I feel like it does feed into the stereotype of like being dumb is attractive to men i'll give you that uh do you remember when there was one bachelorette i don't even remember and i don't even remember how i know this and the her big scandal what's the big scandal every time when there's a bachelorette she sleeps with one of the contestants oh i know the one you're talking about she slept with one of the contestants before the designated sleep with the contestants time it's very bad. That's it's a very bad. Extraordinarily bad. Cause it pun like so this girl hooks up with the bachelor in the ocean or whatever, they go skinny dipping. And cause she's a model and is attractive and he's attractive and everyone in the house is attractive and they have so much pent up sexual tension, probably between the con- contestants and between the contestants and the like the production staff, from mm-hmm. what she says. And then so she goes skinny dipping with this dude that she's ostensibly supposed to be dating. And then she gets made into a villain because they, like, make out naked in the water. Mm-hmm. He gets is blameless in yeah. this situation. She's blamed. And when the bachelor sleeps with ladies, hey-oh, nice. When the bachelorette sleeps with men before the designated sleeping with time, even though didn't that dude end up winning? No. Well, then she slept with three other guys in the fantasy suites when you're supposed to sleep with them and was not judged. It, it puts weird rules on doing it and relationships. It absolutely does. And it's bad. It also is not fun. I don't get it. I never understood I like why people being mad at each other and yelling at each other when they're told to be mad and yell at each other to get more camera time is fun to watch. I've never understood that. I don't know. I just think it's just like it's obviously manufactured drama, but sometimes it's entertaining manufactured drama. I think that it encourages the worst of us to judge people by their cover to give people nicknames and expect behavior from them and encourage that bad behavior from them so that you can get uh, more reward out of having judged a bad person badly when that's not actually the person and that's the production and the producers and the editors creation of them Mm -hmm. and those are real people going through a real life for a weird relationship thing that they get paid a lot of money for and now we get to be mad at them and they don't get paid yes they do the contestants Uh uh-huh they do? I think so. She made a lot of money from residuals and stuff. Oh, I suppose. They don't get like they don't get paid for being on the show. Okay. They make money off of being on the yeah. show. Uh the Bachelor, by the way, called our Bachelorette in this in this book naive for ever believing that he wasn't there to promote his winery. So the entire facade of it is crumbling and was never good to begin with, and then it's it's just not there. Yeah. There's an idea of a bachelor. It's not real. I understand that. I think it is a net negative on just about every level. Anyway, this book is also bad. <laughs> it goes nowhere. It is both the oversharing uh, uh, stranger that just like fills you in on their life and you mm. don't know who they're talking about or why you have to listen to this, but they're just going to go out And just tell you everything. And also the friend that you're getting tired of giving advice to. (laughs) Because it's just like, I don't know you, Courtney Robertson. Not Robertson, Robertson. I don't know you, but the number of times I want to be like, oh, honey, come on. 
where you just have to be like, I'm done. I'm done yeah. giving you this text advice at 2 a.m. in the morning. Where it's like, he apologized, so we, we had sex. And then everything was better. Except it wasn't, because obviously, whatever. Sounds like one of my college friends. Yeah, totally. There's no actual insight from this book. It's supposed to be like a tell-all book. Mm-hmm. But it, there's no actual insight to the running of the show. It's like, Kenzie B was kind of a bitch to me. She was kind of a Kenzie B to me. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we know from the show and everything. We We get it. We saw that. What was it like to have a camera in your face at all times? Yeah. What was it like to have to wake up and prepare to be on for 18 hours? What was it like to be given free booze and then be judged for drinking? Like, I want to know that. I think it would make a really great fiction book for, like, a reality show starlet or something that got was a villain and then has to deal with the rest of her life being always judged for this produced They thing. have, a like, a fictional TV show about that it's called unreal oh well is that about like the production of a of a reality show or the the aftermath of it um it goes a little bit into both but it mostly follows the producers but they do Mm. like they do follow some of the characters like afterwards yeah apparently i think that would be good but we don't get that from the book it ends when they break up basically the only good narrative point in this book is that they're building towards a breakup and obviously because you know from the beginning of the book that they don't make it and then it, it is talking about how they make up and then fall apart, make up and fall apart and make up. And then it just goes, and that's the last time I saw him. <laughs> so that was the only good narrative turn. And then she ends up having sex with another Bachelor contestant. Ooh, juicy. Yeah, sure. I don't know. <laughs> Apparently they do this sort of thing all the time. And she talks about uh, arranging... Uh, like paparazzi outings so that they can catch her, quote unquote, catch her returning the diamond that he gave her or something. So Weird. to get back at him. Yeah. And it's just like this power play, middle school drama bullshit that I didn't have time for when I was in middle school, much less when I'm an adult, especially not in October <laughs> and during conferences. And so I finished this book. I didn't think I was going to have to because it didn't really go anywhere or do anything. But I finished it, and that's that's what I got from it. Courtney Robertson in this book is not really a real person, despite telling us her favorite snacks and TV shows and stuff. Mm. You mean having snack having favorite snacks does not make you a real person? Yeah, having a one blurb uh, ex- explanation of your job down at the bottom of the screen of Chicken Handler and Twin uh, <laughs> does not actually tell us who you are. Crazy. Yeah, so that is uh, I Didn't Come Here to Make Friends or uh, Entertain Readers by Courtney Robertson with Deb Bayer. Um, I read... Finally, I've been trying to get this to you forever. This is the one that you've been trying to get to me forever? Mm-hmm. I thought you said you hadn't found it. I, I, There's one better one that I might have to order on Amazon. Uh-oh. But now we're in By a... By the same author? No. Now oh. we're in a mood, though. <sighs> yeah, we're in a mood. So you got me a 600-page book, which is the other reason that we didn't release an episode last week, because I was only on page 75. Oofta. Um, but I finished it all, literally, not exaggerating, 593 pages of it. Well, Courtney Robertson, you, uh, to be fair, wrote a book, uh, 263, so. That's definitely the same thing. <laughs> definitely the same thing. Um, 1632 by Eric Flint. 
is a book about a town called Grantville, West Virginia, that inexplicably and very abruptly is transported into the middle of the Thirty Years' War in Germany in 1632. The whole town goes. The whole town goes. And not even just like back in time, but back in time and over to Germany. Uh Uh-huh. And the best part is they like instantly figure out what happened. Like within a couple short chapters, they're like, oh yeah, we've been transported to Germany in 1632 and it's the middle of the Thirty Years' War and we know exactly what region of Germany we're in. You know, those West Virginian European historians. And they call it the Ring of Fire, this like event that has happened to them. They refer to it as the Ring of Fire. Um, I fell into a really (laughs) bad book. It had 1632 on the front page of the book and there's a flag in... Those big old numbers. Those big old numbers. <laughs> it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. Dig it in. Um, stop playing that goddamn song. Stop playing that goddamn song. Um, so yeah, that I think that was one of the things that annoyed me the most about this book was that I was expecting the first half of the book to be them figuring out what happened, trying to figure out how it happened, how they could get back. Um, trying to figure out like where they were and when they were and understand what happened. And that they didn't go into that at all. It was just like it, the event happens where they're transported. And then the next chapter, they're like, oh, yes, the Ring of Fire. We're in 1632 Germany in the middle of the Thirty Years' War. <laughs> like, well, tip chop. And Let's everyone just accepts it. <laughs> like no one is driven mad. No. Yeah. No one is driven mad. Um, there are some teenagers that were separated from their families. They aren't like distraught about that. Everyone is just sort of like, all right, this is where we are. Let's continue on with our lives. Well, those West Virginians, they got uh, the work ethic. I think that's like what it's supposed to be. Like, oh, those, those stoic West Virginians, they're the only ones that could handle this kind of a deal. Um, this book takes some social stances. Oofta. It's a little jingoistic. They're related to America. Would you say that the book with... American flag numbers and somebody tootling around in a uh, pickup truck. Sure thing. Is jingoistic. Um, and they are not into uh, liberal folks or women or feminists. Oh, very much. so there's. And we're not talking about the 17th stuff. century Germans either, are we? Nope. We're talking about the United Mine Workers of America, who are our main characters. Mwah. In this book. Mwah. Mwah. Um, so our main character, his name is Mike, and mm. Mike, in the beginning of the book, Mike's sister Rita is getting married, and we open on um, the wedding, and like everyone is at the high school where the wedding is taking place, Gross. and that's when the like Ring of Fire event takes place when they get transported. Are they all in like tuxedos and stuff? They are. That's actually pretty funny. Yeah, it's pretty Wait, funny. Wait, is the whole town or the people? Do like do their houses get transported? The whole, yeah, the, so their they houses, get to go home and yeah, change. Yeah, their houses oh. get transported. All the buildings get transported. The school comes with them. Their vehicles. It's like everything in a couple mile radius of this town gets. Transported. I thought it'd be really hilarious if they're stuck in tuxedos and like monkey suits. That but, would be pretty funny. Damn. Um, but so like then the other weird thing about it is that like 
the electricity still works, all of their power systems, and they're running water, and everything still works. God, the sci-fi is so soft, I just fell asleep on it. Yeah. Ugh. So there's, like, a lot of their major problem, like, the major problems that you would anticipate them having are immediately solved because the electricity still works, and all their vehicles still work, and there's magically enough gas to get no, them no through kidding. the winter, and the plumbing still works, and all of this other stuff, like... They can broadcast, like, cable, and they have, like, a television station in the school, and their TVs still work. What? No. Like, just to, like, the the TV broadcast that they're recording in the high school, like, they can view at their homes. Yeah, that's total baloney. The, I got you an alternate history book because I wanted you to read some stupid alternate history. I couldn't find anything about the South winning the Civil War in our library, which is what I wanted to do because uh-huh. those are always terrible. But like this has done been done also. I don't know about before with like there's a, a huge Internet book that was like crowdsourced kind of about like a Marine battalion doing the same thing and getting transported back to ancient Rome mm-hmm. and like, oh, how is ancient Rome going to take on a Marine battalion? But the cool thing was is that, like, okay, your helicopters still fly, but you're going to run out of gas, and yeah. there's also no GPS or, like, flight computers, yeah. and you're going to run out of bullets, and there's no more walkie-talkies. Like, that's the fun part about going back in time is that there's challenge. Oh. Yeah, they – so then, like, they try to make the big problem, like, oh, eventually we're going to run out. We have to figure out what we're going to do, and they, like – get the coal plant running and they're able to mine and they immediately start manufacturing bullets for their guns and other parts to like replaceable parts for their guns and like all of the problems that you would anticipate coming up they just sort of instantly solve yeah and contribute to global warming 200 years before normal mm-hmm. that's much. west virginia for you am i right but <laughs> oh dear you know so... coal is a dying industry so they just went back 400 years to when it was still relevant. I mean, pretty much, yeah. It's their their heyday. Um, one one thing that I found particularly interesting, they try to explain a little bit of what happens in the Ring of Fire in the two-page prologue with these chapters. In reality, the Grantville disaster was the result of what humans of the day would have called criminal negligence, caused by a shard of cosmic garbage, a discarded fragment of what, for lack of a better term, could be called a work of art. A shaving, you might say, from a sculpture. The Asidi fancied their solapsist amusements with the fabric of space-time. They were quite oblivious to the impact of their art on the rest of the universe. The Asidi would be exterminated 85 billion years later by the Fita Te. Ironically, the Fitate were a collateral branch of one of the human race's multitude of descendant species. Their motive, however, was not revenge. The Fitate knew nothing of their origins on a distant planet once called Earth, much less a minor disaster which had occurred there. The Fitate exterminated the Asidi simply because, after many stern warnings, they persisted in practicing their dangerous and irresponsible art. Those are the only two paragraphs in these 600 pages where any of those things are mentioned. So aliens did it. Apparently. Is this co-written by Stephen King? No, Eric Flint, the guy who wrote your Incredible Odyssey book, by the way. Is it? Yeah. One of the co-authors. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's why I settled on that one. Um, Yeah, aliens did it, I guess. You guess, and then humans killed them all. Woo! 
but Speaking none of, of that none of that happens in the actual book it's 85 billion years later 85 billion years later just a little there, i don't know if the universe is going to exist 85 billion years from now he probably won't you just he's just pulling stuff out of his butt so here is one way that women are described mm. this is our main character's sister Frida arrived with her usual thermonuclear energy. She started by embracing her new husband in a manner that was wildly inappropriate in a high school cafeteria, springing onto him and wrapping both legs around his thighs. Wedding dress be damned. A fierce and decidedly unvirginal kiss accompanied the semi-lascivious embrace. Then, bouncing off, she gave Mike a hug, which, though it lacked the sexual overtones, was almost as vigorous. Younger manga. Younger manga. Um, we meet in the first, like, there are five different parts to this. We meet in part one, and um, we meet Rebecca. So Rebecca is the first person from the 1600s that we really encounter, that, like, the Americans meet. So she immediately falls in love with Mike, and they get married, obviously. Do they speak German? Uh, she speaks English. No, she doesn't. Yes, she does. We don't, like, the English we speak is not the English from the 1600s. Yes, it is, Meg. Because we need it to for purposes of the Does she walk up and is like, hey, what's up? Um, No, he rescue, rescues her from a burning carriage. No, I mean, like, does she talk like that? Like, hey, how's it going? No. Does well, she, she say, learns like, to very quickly. May, like, Shakespeare talk? Nope. So, like, English, but with an English accent is how she, the, this 1630 German yeah, speaks English. Pretty much. Fantastic. Yep. Um she is described as a sheltered intellectual and it's Mike, 1630. Mike muses to himself some men may have been put off by the obvious intelligence in her eyes. But I'm one of the good ones. Uh-huh. Um, I'm a good guy. I'm a nice guy. Yeah, I'm I- I'm the hero. Um, and then there is another character. So she is one of the teachers at the high school. And she is a barely tolerated flaming liberal. She's the feminist teacher. And they're not too sure how they feel about her. Mike eyed her warily. Melissa Maley was a tall, slender woman. Her hair was Gross. cut very short. And its color matched the conservative gray jacket and long dress she was wearing. Her hazel eyes were just as piercing as he remembered them from days gone by when he stammered out an unstudied reply to a stiff question. She looked every inch the stern and demanding schoolmistress. The appearance was not opposed. Melissa Maley was famous or notorious, depending on who was telling the tale, for her acid tongue and acerbic discipline. She was also famous for being Grantville's most unabashed and unrelenting liberal, flaming irresponsible radical, according to many. As a college student, she'd been a participant in the civil rights movement, arrested twice, once in Mississippi, once in Alabama. As a young school teacher, she had marched against the Vietnam War, arrested twice, once in San Francisco and once in Washington, D.C. The first arrest had cost her a teaching job. The second had done for the next. Boston, Bremen, born and bred, she'd wound up teaching in a small town in West Virginia because nobody else would hire her. Like... Just, they, like, obviously hate this woman. So, by being on the right side of history four times, yeah, we should hate her. Also, I love that she's a liberal and is dressed conservatively in a mm-hmm. great, like... I think it's, we're supposed to be implying that she's a lesbian. Lesbians are so sexless, and so are liberals, mm-hmm. and they're so joyless as compared to those West Virginian conservatives, which jump on their brothers... She's yes. on the, like 
She protested in the civil rights movement. What a liberal. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I think in 1632, you should be able to realize that she's probably on the right side of history. Um, also, there's one black character, and he is, of course, described as being from Chicago's worst ghetto. Is he uh, uh, articulate? He is. He's a doctor. Is he described as articulate? Uh-huh. Perfect. We even get microaggressions in this fiction book. What do, the, what do the Germans do about it? Are they like... They refer to him as the Moor. Yeah, that's maybe more realistic than some other stuff, but are they like Schwarzkappa? Blackhead? Corper? Mm. Um, it's not, I only know black and German. Um. Let's see. There are some Scottish characters. One of them naturally winds up married to the captain of the high school cheerleading team, who is also talked about in very inappropriate terms. She's eight. She's maybe eighteen. She's seventeen. She marries the the commander of the Scotsmen. Why are there Scots in Germany? Uh, because it's the Thirty Years' War. I don't know. That's like the excuse for a lot of things is, I don't know, it's the 30 years So more. I'm sure the Scots speak English. They do. Yeah, probably not, but okay. They absolutely do. Um, the, the, the cheerleading captain who winds up married to them uh, does a lot of cheerleading in the first half of the book, including 2468, who do we appreciate? Scotsman, Scotsman. And that's when he falls in love with her. But then at the end, she turns out to be um, like a quite the sharpshooter, and she becomes their like sniper and takes out a bunch of people. Which like that part's kind of badass. That's fine. Except that they're using muskets. No one can sharpshoot with a musket. No, they're not using muskets. They're using their guns. Oh, they're they're twenty seventeen or whatever Mm -hmm. guns. All right. Yeah, they're using their twenty seventeen guns, which they keep manufacturing bullets and extra parts for in the blacksmith shop that they've set up great where do they get the brass um they're just using whatever metal they have that's not how bullets work i'm so mad at this book i don't know Mm -hmm. how you ever do this um i can't break you there is also a woman so there's a a young male character named jeff and he is (laughs) my name is jeff He's like a high school junior. He's one of the guys whose families was outside of, like, was out of town when the Ring of Fire happened. So he was having a party. Um. So like he, he, like he is now separated from his family forever. Um. But after one of the battles, he finds this woman named Gretchen, and she's trying to protect her family. He winds up marrying her, even though they don't speak the same language. Um, but she learns languages very quickly. And so she learns, she learns English within the span of about a day and a half. She's able to, to speak like pretty fluent English to him. Um, so they get together and yeah, that's, uh, do you know what a plot? That's a whole chunk of the middle of the book. Yeah. You know, like what a plot is on its basic level. It's overcoming challenges. And this book is just like, It's not a challenge. It's easy. Um, We also... I am seeing a common theme, though, because in your Intrepid Observatory or whatever, the the other one we read by this guy, uh, Odyssey. Uh Uh-huh. What was it? Extreme Odyssey? Uh, Castaway Odyssey. Castaway Odyssey. That also did not have any sort of conflict. They had the chips in their brains that told Mm -hmm. them how to do stuff so they didn't have to learn. It's a a theme for this dude, I think. Um, In the theme of jingoism... 
at the beginning, when they first realize where they are, they say, we'll start the American Revolution 150 years ahead of schedule. And they're determined to bring American democracy and American values into 15th century well, Germany. They'll, say they'll, they'll, they'll be five years late if they wait 150 years. That's 1780. Well, that's we were true. Done by, done by then. That's true. Um, let's see. They talk a lot about... Um, and the Americans, it was plain to see, were nobility. It was obvious in everything they said and did and didn't say and didn't do. It shone in their simple carriage. So there's a lot of, like, the way that the German peasants see the Americans. Like, aren't they these? Which, like, I'm sure that would seem fantastic and magical, like the technology that they have. But just the way it's talked about is super, like, America is I mean, so awesome. you know those West Virginians? They've got such haughty chins. Yeah. I'm not, I mean, I'm not insulting West Virginians. I'm from Iowa, for goodness sakes, the West Virginia of the rest of the country. But, like, come on, we're, neither of us are very fancy. Mm-mm, not at all. Uh, when talking about Julie, the cheerleading captain, who again is 17, as always, Mike was struck by her classically all-American country girl features. Peaches and cream complexion, light brown hair, blue eyes, open face, no one except a man in love with her would ever call Julie Sims beautiful, just good looking. You just described all the characteristic like characteristics of a person who sounds very beautiful, and then you're like, no one would think she's beautiful. Just good looking? What's the difference? I don't know. Um, then when we figure out that she's like a sharpshooter and she becomes the sniper, there's a lot of talk about like, um, you know, is it gonna is it gonna be okay with you to be killing people like a little girl and how are you gonna react to all this little girl and talk like talks about i bet you cried the first time you killed a deer yeah because it was so pretty and like it's just there's a lot of gross sexism in it look at this little girl that doesn't want to murder people what's the cause why do people attack the americans if they need to defend themselves um they are they are taking over some additional land. What? America? I know. Weird, right? Guess what they call their political party. The Virginians. The 4th of July party. That is a backyard barbecue, not a political movement. Not even like the Republicans? Like, even with a small R, Republic? The 4th of July party. Is Where the Germans like, uh... We don't have the same calendar as you yet. <laughs> we literally celebrate that day a different time of year than you. Mm-hmm. Um, no, because they they like insist on their calendar. Americans, yeah. Did they introduce Weird, right? the metric system and then pretend like they invented it? Um, Did they come back with the flu and kill two? That's what of I Europe? was waiting for, and that didn't happen. Whatever. Like, diabetes isn't transferable, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, but there's still lots of medicine in the pharmacy, so we don't really have to worry about disease. Are they, like, I know that... The they had are... recently stocked up on penicillin. So STDs aren't a problem. That's good. Yeah. Um, I know that these books continue into the future. Do you think there will be 10 sequels? And these guys are like, we gotta get to Spain. They're gonna go discover America soon. And we got to make sure they take care of those pesky Indians so that there will be a West Virginia eventually. That was 1492. Oh, yeah. I'm an idiot. 
in any case, do they talk about like there's the new world and we're come from there? Why don't they go over there? They so like we get the occasional thing from the perspective of like the Germans. the Germans um and also the Swedish Gustavus Adolphus. Yeah, he's like the he's the civilization 5 leader of the Swedes. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um we get some like from their perspective, they're talking about the Americans and they're really confused like this is not what Americans are, and how did they get here? Yeah, they're all brown. Mm-hmm. Well, except for the, all the Spanish uh, that have already murdered about nine Most million, of them, yeah. 98% of the people living By in America. By the 1600s. Yes. Yeah, white people fucked a lot of stuff up. They did. Happy Columbus Day, everyone. Um. Yeah, so that was this book. There are a lot more but here's the interesting thing. It doesn't progress year by year. I was kind of expecting it to like, maybe the next couple of books would jump a little bit farther, like 1637, 1645, yeah. you know, like, yeah. so we could see a little bit of how of, these cultures are meshing together and starting to grow into one, like an interesting book. But instead we have uh, four books about 1634. Damn, a lot of stuff. It's a presidential election year, so... <laughs> um no we already had the presidential election mike is the president um we have three books about 1635 is it because he's the president of the union yeah i mean you know i'm so mad um and then we have a couple books just called ring of fire and ring of fire 2 and then we have four volumes of the grantville gazette flint Quit writing that goddamn book. <laughs> I actually saw the Gazette and almost bought you that one before I bought you sick, or checked you out. It probably would have been shorter. It's it's a collection of short stories. Yeah, maybe it would have been more interesting. Maybe this. Sh- well, I suppose in a short story format, it's a little bit more forgivable for there to be like really simple solutions yeah. to problems. And quick solutions or not solutions. quite as forgivable in a six hundred page book. I'm seeing some rings under your eyes that are like ugh. It kept me up at night. I'm a little over it with this book. So it was just like, it was just really weird. And it was, I was bummed because like as a concept, this is something I can get super into. It's like, it, we've talked about this before. Like it's that idea of like this apocalyptic catastrophic event happens. How do you recover? And what does that recovery look like out, moving forward? Yeah, you don't. And you don't change at all. You just stay the same people that you always were. And it works out because you're Americans and God has given you a destiny. Yeah, pretty much. And it's your job to make it manifest. Oh, yes, and Lutheranism is now the religion of the land. Well, that's true, actually. That is a German thing. Luther was German. Mm-hmm. That was one thing I that I don't they... believe West Virginia is particularly Lutheran. That's what they decided on. All right. Just, like, to enforce it? I don't know. Woo, America! You can't punish religion, but you can endorse it. Well, we don't want it to be the Catholics. Well, we don't. <laughs> I know. You're an all-star. Uh, I think that will do us for this week's edition of Bibliowild. It's a little bit shorter of a book or uh, an episode. I wish it was a shorter of a book. Both I of us wish did. it was too. All right. So the next one I got you is pretty short because I already got you a new one. Let's see it how many is... pages of this one there is. It is called There the... are multiple spots for notes, I will have you know. It is uh, called. 247. Sorry. It is called. It is called the Achilliad. And on the photo, there is a man who has the longest arms I've ever seen. What's the plot of the book, Sue? (sighs) 
It is another alternate history book. <laughs> Rome rules all, including the New World, known in other dimensions as America, but here known as Terra Nova. New World. And we follow Aquila, the chief of the savage Lakotai nation, who is a Roman senator. And Caesar sends him on a quest for the fabled land of China. And off they go. They are hardly prepared for bloodthirsty Aztecs, flying machines, time-traveling aliens, or Bigfoot. <laughs> and Aquila's problem-solving strategies are unconventional, to say the least. I do appreciate that in an alternate history book in which non- uh, Europe, like non-modern Europeans discover America, Native American culture survives. Yeah. It's co-opted, let's be honest. Yeah. But the fact that Aztecs and Lakota are still around means that the Romans did a better job than we did. Before they know it, their adventures lead them into the hands of the time criminal <gasps> who is bent on altering all the multiple universes to suit his own evil whims. I forgot about that. I thought it was just straight up alternate history. The time criminal. You know what we need is a time policeman. Some sort of time cop. That's a reference to a movie. Robocop? No, time cop. Oh. Uh. Does it have Arnold Schwarzenegger in it? I believe it's Jean-Claude Van Damme, or I might be making this up from a fever dream I once had when I took too much NyQuil. I don't remember. But either way, that should lead us into the end of Bibliovile. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you sticking with us through uh, a kind of odd month of quasi-episodes. Uh, hopefully we are we are back. We, we have lessened the weight of our books from our shoulders as well as the hair from our heads. Uh, and so we should be able to stick on track a little bit more as we get further into the year. All right. If you want to follow us on Twitter, Mick can be found at Dickima. That's D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A. I am at Susan J. That's S with three U's, S-A-N-J. The intro music to our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. And the outro music is by Mr. Michael Lane Dickinson himself. That's me. So go ahead and subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud if that is still around. I don't know. Did that crash and burn and die like it was supposed to? Uh, retweet. Share with your friends. Tell somebody because we love doing this. And I mean, it's not like for fame or anything, but we'd like it if people listen to it. Uh, shout out to the McElroys for... Uh, Rose Buddies and Wonderful, both great podcasts that you should check out. I don't want to take their name in vain without giving them credit. Uh, so yeah, any any final thoughts, Sue? Good night, Nat. I love you.